Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. Genesis, we're working our way through uh, this uh, epic uh, beginning of the Bible. We know that God made creation. Uh, it was awesome. And, uh, and we screwed it up. We um, rebelled against God. God could have said, that's it. I'm not going to, um, uh, you know, God could have said, I'm going to start over. Um, but God decides to intervene in uh, his creation. He promises a coming Messiah. That's what we're celebrating this month, Right. Uh, he promises that that's going to be in the future. And, uh, and he chooses one man, one family through whom uh, the line will be carried all the way to Jesus. And that man's name is Abraham, right? Uh, Abram. Abram was a, from a pagan culture, um, not a God, a, a culture where they burned um, children as human sacrifices. Um, this was an amazing rescue of God of this man uh, to make him a follower of his. So then Abraham uh, has Isaac, and Isaac uh, um, has two sons, and they're named Jacob and Esau. And Isaac's crazy about his older son Esau. The expected blessing would, uh, we would think it would fall on Esau. But Isaac and his mother are connivers, and uh, they dress Isaac up um, as Esau. And uh, um, they dress um, Jacob up as Esau. They fool Isaac, who's blind and aged. Um, and uh, they steal the blessing. And that makes Esau so angry that he vows to kill his brother Jacob. And uh, quickly, uh, Jacob's mother sends him away back to her family to save his life. And um, he um, arrives at the beginning of this passage back to her family, which is in southern uh, Turkey, right above uh, the modern-day country of Syria in Paddan Aram. And um, he has no money. He's a fugitive. He has no family. He's lost the only one uh, in his life who loves him uh, wildly, his mother. Um, and we pick it up right there, the story of Jacob. Got it? All caught up? Ready to go? Why don't you stand if you're able? And uh, I'll read to us from God's word. I'm going to start at the ninth verse of chapter 29. So Jacob's gathered with uh, shepherds there. They're waiting all the shepherds to come so that they can water all the sheep at one time because there's a, at the well, there's a huge stone that covers the well that was necessary to protect the water, keep the well from caving in, keep you know, animals from falling in and, and so, spoiling the, uh, the, the pure water. Um, it's a very heavy stone. So they, they only wanted to move it once. They want to take care of all the sheep for all the different families. Uh, but it's also very heavy, and it took a number of shepherds to move it. So there, Jacob has come up to the well. It's a natural place, right? Remember, Jesus met a woman at the well. If you want to um, meet people, then you knew people are coming every day um, to the well. So that's where um, Jacob goes, and it says, while he was still speaking with them to the shepherds, Rachel came with her father's sheep. She was a shepherdess. 
Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep she was bringing, Jacob came near and he rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. He did it all by himself. And what do we call that? Showing off. That's what we call that. (laughs) Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman. He was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told that to her father. And as soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him, embraced him, kissed him, and brought him to his house. Um, Jacob told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, Surely you are bone, uh, are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him for a month. Now it's clear that, you know, Jacob's crazy about his daughter. So Laban uh, said to Jacob, because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve for nothing? Tell me what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak. But Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Now Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. So stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Oh. But this is so good. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife that I may go into her for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place, made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob and he went into her. Laban gave Leah a female servant. And in the morning it says, Jacob wakes up, marital bliss, And behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what's this you've done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why have you deceived me? And Laban said, it's not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Boom is what that is. Complete the week of this one and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so. He completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. And uh, Laban also gave Rachel a servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for seven more years. Now when the Lord saw that Leah was hated... He opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. And again she conceived and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons and therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, this time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. And then Leah ceased bearing. This is the reading of God's holy, infallible, 
and inspired word. Let's pray. Jesus, our hearts ache. Our souls are parched to meet our one true love. Lord, would that happen this morning for some? And would our affection for our groom be reawakened in others? Hear our prayer. Amen. You may be seated. So have you found your one true love, your soulmate? We just love love stories, right? Historic, fictional, Antony and Cleopatra, Romeo and Juliet, Elizabeth and Mr. Darcy. Wasn't that Pride and Prejudice? Was that that? How many of you have watched it 10 times or more? I don't want to know. I don't want to know that about you. Um, There's Titanic, Jack and Rose. Um, And of course, the most epic love story of the modern era. More people watch this wedding than any wedding in world history, Prince Charles and Diana. Not, right? You know, it's interesting. One scholar wrote recently, this is an unbeliever wrote this, not 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 a Christ follower. They said, historically, people didn't marry for love and romance. But moderns have loaded marriage with a tremendous amount of freight. With the loss of belief in God, people are attempting to make up for the lack of inner spiritual fullness by finding their one true love. The fulfillment, love, and acceptance we need in our innermost being, we are now looking for in a romantic partner. Isn't that fascinating? That's the observation of a non-Christian. The absence of spiritual, you know, inner fullness has heightened the weight that's placed on marriage. That what marriage is expected to, to provide for us has never historically been expected of marriage. So I ask, have you found your one true love? You know, there are love stories in the Bible, Ruth and Boaz, Solomon and the entire, you know, the bride of the Song of Solomon. But this is the first one mentioned in the Bible, Jacob and Rachel. And I asked this morning, do you think there's a lover out there for you? Do you think there's one true love that can satisfy the thirst of your soul? When I was a young guy, my parents made me go to a play. I remember I threw a fit. It was a musical. It was on the, at the Oslo Theater in, in Sarasota near the Ringling Museum and it was Fiddler on the Roof. And I fell in love with musical theater uh, that night and have forever since. And I've seen that particular play a number of times, including on Broadway. And in that play, they, the, the girls of Teviev sing, matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match, right? Um, That's one of the great privileges of being a pastor, a preacher, a minister of the gospel, is we get to see the Holy Spirit, the ultimate matchmaker. Um, 
take people and marry them to their one true love. I'm praying that that uh, happens before our very eyes this morning. Amen. Got a sermon outline? Let's go. One true love uh, involves chastening, right? Um, Love involves chastening. Jacob is... um, always got a plan. Jacob is a schemer. He's a wrestler. Jacob is wrestling in the womb before he's even born. When his brother is born first, what does the Bible tell us? Jacob has a hold of his foot. You know, he has a hold of his leg. He's trying to, he's trying to be the first one out of the womb. It's just innate in uh, him. We know that uh, we've read already in Genesis that he snookered his aging uh, blind father and, uh, and his brother, right? And he stole the firstborn blessing. And uh, though God appeared dramatically uh, to Jacob in a dream at a place called Bethel, uh, and that was Brandon's uh, excellent message last week, there still remains little evidence of spiritual health in Jacob's life. Um, Jacob meets Rachel at a well in Haran. And what do we find out happens? Things, things heat up quickly, don't they? I mean, he kisses her when he meets her. He weeps. He, um, he does not let this relationship develop slowly. Um, Jacob is in a precarious position. He has no servants. He has no money to pay the bride price. He has no camels. He has no flocks, right? He has no gifts. He's alone and he's dirt poor. And Laban, his relative, has two daughters, right? What do we learn about these two daughters? Well, the oldest one's name is Leah. And we're given a description of Leah. The Bible says her eyes were weak. Now, what in the world does that mean, right? Is that a contrast to Rachel? If it was, it'd say Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel, she had 20-20 vision, Right? And that's what you got to look for in a woman. <laughs> Scholars don't even know how to interpret this um, Hebrew word. They're flummoxed uh, by it. I mean, what does this mean? Does this mean she was cross-eyed? Does this mean she had her eyes protruded like Marty Feldman? Um, <laughs> if you remember him. Um, you know, what it, I mean, obviously what it means is that Rachel was beautiful. I mean, the the text seems to go to extra lengths to say Rachel's a knockout and Leah's not. Leah is um, not attractive and even uh, homely, right? So Laban sees Jacob's um, passion and desire for his younger daughter. And for him, that's an opportunity to extract an exorbitant bride price. So what does does, um, Jacob offer? Uh, for the bride price, right? Seven years, right? Seven years of, uh, of labor. Now, for a month of labor as a shepherd was, was about worth one shekel. And um, so you get 12 shekels in a year. The bride price would have been about 30 shekels, maybe 35. So three years would have been uh, even considered generous. And he offers more than 100% more than uh, was necessary. He way overpays um, for Rachel. He wants Rachel He's going to make this happen, right? And then the Bible says he served those seven years. It went by quickly. 
uh, Laban never brings up the marriage, even when Jacob, so Jacob sort of barges in, demands the wedding, and on the wedding night, in the dark, perhaps with inebriation playing a role, um, Laban acts on his plan, not only to marry off his undesirable daughter, but to get twice the payment by slipping the veiled Leah into Jacob's tent um, to have his marriage consummated. Now, how does that go down? What does it say in verse um, 25 and following? Now in the morning, Andrew, it's the first night, it's the first morning, ready for a breakfast in bed, right? You call room service, somebody's gonna bring you, it's gonna be a glorious celebration of your new union and the Bible says that when Jacob opened his eyes in the morning, what? Behold, it was Leah, right? It's one of the great lines in all of human history. <laughs> Behold, it was Leah. Now Jacob explodes, right? He charges out of the tent. He goes and finds Laban. What have you done to me? Didn't I serve you seven years? Way more than was necessary. Why have you deceived me? I mean, he's furious. And then Laban completely. Do you wonder why this doesn't lead to fisticuffs? He doesn't grab Rachel and flee and go live somewhere else. He doesn't, he doesn't get violent. And, and uh, why not? It's because of this next line. It's because Leah kneecaps him. I mean, I mean it, it's because Laban just lays him low with this one line. Why did I do this? Well, it's not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. What's he alluding to? We don't act in our country like you acted when you stole the blessing from your blind father, right? One rabbi actually envisions what would have happened in a discussion uh, that morning if, um, uh, if, if Jacob went back, you know, and he encountered Leah and he said, you, you were a party to this, you know, in the night, in the night I called out Rachel in the dark and you answered, why'd you do that to me? And Leah said to him, you know, your father called out Esau in the dark and you answered, why did you do that to him? You see the point? The point here is that the, the, the deceiver is deceived. Jacob gets a taste of his own medicine. Everything he did to his father and brother has now been done to him, right? He suddenly realizes um, that, he's, that, 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 that what Laban's done, he's been guilty of himself, if not worse. Laban dressed Leah in Rachel's clothes and sprayed her with Rachel's perfume um, and smuggled her into Jacob's bed under the cover of darkness. Jacob did the same, didn't he? Jacob's mother dressed him in Esau's clothing, right? So he'd have Esau's scent. His father's blindness made him dark, right? Uh, they could get away with this ruse. Um, so Jacob is experiencing, in Laban's deceit, he's experienced the love of a father he never knew. Hebrews says, whom the Lord loves, he... Apparently you're not familiar with that verse. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. A good father disciplines his sons. Remember when I was a boy, I had to learn this verse right next to that verse in Hebrews. All discipline at the time seemeth not to be profitable, right? 
to the recipient of the discipline, right? When you're sitting at the dinner table and you sass your parents and, and your mom or dad says no dessert for you, what's your response to that when you're a child? Mom, dad, I glorify your holy name, right? <laughs> for your care for my soul and my eternal well-being. No, you just throw a fit, right? That's not fair, right? All discipline at the time seemeth not to be profitable. Who wants to be disciplined, right? Um, when you see that red light flashing behind your car and you know you are going too fast, right? All discipline at the time seemeth not to be profitable. You, the odds are if you get pulled over for speeding, it's the first time you've ever done it, right? <laughs> you do it every day of your life and once after 15 years you get pulled over, you act like, what? This is outrageous. All discipline at the time seemeth not to be profitable, but afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. Now, you know, what does this show? It shows he loves Jacob. That's the one thing you got to know in your life is that God loves you, right? Listen, I'm a pastor. You know what that means? I've had to talk to a lot of pastors or hear tales of a lot of pastors through the years who have um, committed some sexual indiscretion and been tossed out of the ministry, right? That happens, that happens way too much. But you know when it happens? I remember it happening to a friend of mine and this friend of mine was uh, arrogant. This friend of mine was uh, in special forces in the military before he became, he was a tough, um, aggressive, confident, uh, arrogant person and when I heard uh, that he had made this committed this transgression as a pastor I remember my first thought was this is great it'll be a hard go for him I don't know if his wife will forgive him it'll be a hard go I don't know if he'll lose his job forever it'll be a hard go you know what but God is so committed to him you know you can do you can do rotten stuff and get away with it but whom the Lord loves he what he chastens because we belong to him, because he's a good dad. And actually when we get chastened, it should be a, a source of reassurance to us. God is more committed to my well-being than I'm committed to my well-being. Listen, I'm, I'm supposing that Jacob's not the only person that ever needed a Laban in his life. What do you think? You ever need one? When I was in middle school, I decided that it would make my life, that I was determined to win uh, the high school state basketball champion, that I would devote myself wholly to that. When I was in seventh grade, I put on the wall of my bedroom the date of my senior year in high school, six years in the future, uh, when the high school state basketball championship would um, take place. And I was going to be there, I was going to play in it, and we were going to win. And I worked for that um, wholeheartedly for six years. I devoted myself to basketball. I practiced. I went to camps. I remember the day I went to my coach and said, what do I have to do to get better? Tell me the thing I have to watch. Tell me the, the, the camp I got to go to. Tell me the secret. And I remember he said, play basketball every day for hours. It has to become insane. I did it all. I played, I became a scrappy, pretty good little basketball player. In my senior year, we had a great team. We were 26 and one. 
We're rated first in the state of Florida uh, for the entire season. We only lost one game because three of my dumb teammates um, got drunk and they got suspended uh, from a game. And we played uh, Loyola Catholic School in Miami. We played in their gym. We lost in three overtimes or we would have had a perfect record. And um, toughest game I ever played in. Uh, their fans threw rocks at us during the game. <laughs> it was wild. And... Um, um, and so we won the districts. We went to the regionals with overwhelming favorites. We played uh, a tough team. We were ahead by six points with two minutes left in the game, a team we'd beat twice already that year. Our coach made a really dumb mistake. And um, um, not, it, that doesn't mean he took me out of the game. That would be even, that would be even dumber. He, um, and we lost the game and I was disconsolate. I could not be consoled. In fact, when the bus took the team back, um, I rode back with, uh, with one of the coaches in the car because they were so concerned with me because what I had lived for was dashed. And you know what happened as a result of that? Changed my life. I never made the honor roll one time. I never worked in my studies one time in school. Um, that wasn't my aim, right? Um, and all my, uh, I have five other siblings, they all made National Honor Society. I was the only one who never did. I never even made the honor roll until my last six weeks of my high school because losing that game woke me up, changed my life, changed my priorities, gave me a passion to do something that mattered with my life. You see what I'm saying? God chastens um, it's his way. Listen, it's not the only time. I was a pastor of this church and uh, a woman on staff. She wasn't one of the staff leaders, uh, but she uh, asked for an appointment. She came to my office and she said, we got a real problem on this staff. Our staff's not healthy and it's primarily not healthy because of you. And uh, you need to um, uh, invite the other pastors in and you need to ask them what it's like to be a pastor and work on a team under your leadership. They're too intimidated to tell you, but uh, they're not thriving under your leadership. And uh, you can't say one word. And if you defend yourself, they'll just shut down. So you need to keep your mouth shut. You need to have a pad. You need to write down what they say. And, um, you know, she didn't work here very much longer. Um, <laughs> but. No, you know, I, I, we went into that meeting and what I heard in that meeting was God telling me, you have no idea who you are and who you are is not pretty and you damage people and it changed my life. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Whom the Lord loves. And listen, he's not gonna let you go. He's not gonna let Jacob's go. See that fierceness that he has for Jacob. He has that fierceness for you. He's your one true love. He will come after you hard and he won't let anything steal you away from him. It's beautiful love. All right, you ready? Next. It's one true love. Let's talk about the search for it, our, our hunger for it. Calvin said the human heart is an idol factory. We're forever searching for something other than God to fill us, validate us, to make us feel we matter. We turned away from God. This vacuum was formed inside of us and all of us are trying to fill it. And Genesis chapter nine is rife with this 
the search for something. I mean, the, what's the first commandment, right? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt have nothing before me. Don't look, don't, no other lover before me, right? So um, what's, um, what's Jacob's emptiness? How did Jacob become empty? What was his void in his life? His dad, right? His dad loved his brother. His dad was wild about Esau. Esau was a man's man. Remember Isaac uh, loved um, Esau, but, but Jacob was neglected. It's a void. He's the younger brother. His, his father's nuts about his older brother. Jacob doesn't matter. He wants to matter. He wants to be significant. You know what? And people all over this room, you ought to say, that's my story too. Because I have felt that nobody notices me. I have felt that I'm not listened to. I have felt that I don't matter. I have felt that I am unloved. I want to matter. I want to do something with my life. I want to be somebody. There's an emptiness inside of us and it drives us. So what is Jacob's idol? Who is it? Come on, you guys know this. It's the whole point of the story. Who's Jacob's idol? What's he got to have? Rachel. He has his heart set on her in an inordinate way. And he'll do anything to have her, right? Seven years, as if it seemed like a day. His hopes and dreams are locked on Rachel. If I have a woman that beautiful as my wife, then it will prove that I matter, that I'm somebody, and I will be full. So what's Leah's idol? What does she want? What does she have to have? She wants her husband's love. She wants not to be ugly. She wants to be seen, right? She wants to be loved and cared for. Leah, I mean, imagine. She's homely. She's the ugly duckling. What must it be like to be pawned off in the dark of night to a drunk man disguised as your beautiful sister? The only way we can get you a husband, Leah, is to get the man drunk, dress you as your sister, and in the dark of the night, stealthily put you into his bed. What humiliation. To always be second, to have a husband who's crazy about another woman who lives in your own house. Leah's worthlessness is rubbed in her face every day. But you know, Leah isn't a looker, but she's good at something. What's that? She can have babies. And not only that, she can not only make babies, she can make male babies. And her sister can't. And as her sons are born, we see her idolatry. Look at what she says when her first child is born. She conceived and bore a son, uh, and she called his name Reuben. And she said, because the Lord has looked on my affliction, now my husband will love me. That's her, that's her idol. If I could have Jacob's love by giving him male children, that will fill me. And her third child, when she conceived and bore a son, she said, now this time my husband will be attached to me because I've born him three sons. See, you see what she's got to have? I want to be asking you, what do you have to have, right? What's Rachel's idol? Rachel's idol, she's the younger sister. She wants to beat her older sister. I didn't read it because it's in chapter 30, verse 8. And Rachel said when she finally had a child, she said with mighty wrestlings. Isn't that interesting, that word again, wrestling? With mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and I have prevailed. Um, she wants 
Rachel, um, you know, that's what she wants. What's the problem with idols? What's the problem with all our schemes to fill ourselves? They don't work. They never work. Do you realize that, it, that no matter what, the day you get something you've longed for and wanted your whole life, the next morning when you wake up, it will be Leah. That's what the Bible says, right? Idols don't work, they never fill us. Jacob wanted Rachel. He gave his whole life for Rachel. And that night he would have said, finally, my one true love, nothing but bliss awaits me, but in the morning there's Leah. Whatever you set your heart on, if I could only have a boyfriend, if I could have a spouse, be married, if I could have a lot of money, if I could just have a, a, a meaningful job or a prestigious job, if I could have a lake house, you know, if I could be a great artist, if I could be a great soccer player, right? Listen, when you get what you want and you dream about, in the morning it's always Leah. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Go down to Publix and watch people lined up to win the lottery. You know what happened if you won the lottery, you won everything? In the morning, it's Leah. Every, we see all the studies about what happens to people who win wealth in the lottery, right? It doesn't fill your heart. It doesn't work. Famous story of Tom Brady walking out of like the third Super Bowl he won and actually saying to, um, to a reporter on 60 Minutes, Steve Croft, saying, My, you know what I thought one hour after the Super Bowl is... There's got to be something more than this. Now Tom Brady, what? He's 87 years old. <laughs> and something that's not funny is that when he wakes up in the morning, there's no one in his bed, right? Because you can't fill the hole with fame and fortune and success and money. And Tish Warren's a wonderful writer. And... Uh, she said, I sometimes self-righteously assume that I'm immune to greed, materialism, and consumerism, but then we moved into a new house. Suddenly I found myself walking through the flooring store riddled with anxiety, convinced that the course of my life would be determined by whether I went with the red oak wire brushed or the Cambridge hickory, or would it be the white oak? I've spent more time soul searching, poring over which dining table to buy than I spent choosing a spouse. And when said spouse ordered the wrong color bookshelves from Ikea, only to discover that the color I wanted is entirely out of stock, I grieve like some beloved pet had died. What happened to me? I have lived in East Africa without plumbing. I spent much of my 20s among the homeless. Now I search Pinterest for patio furniture inspiration. Rationally, I know that material things will not bring me joy. I know that a magazine fantasy kitchen is not what will fill my soul. Yet the tentacles of a lie somehow burrow their way into my psyche. If I could somehow make my house look better, my life would be better. I would be better. When you get the dream kitchen you always wanted the next morning when you wake up, it's... So what do you need to take your adulterous eyes off of? What is it you've got to have? 
If you can't identify that, I'm not getting through. What is your idol? What do you love more than Jesus? Every one of us does this. Hmm. How do we set our eyes on Jesus as our one true love? So last point, what's the source? How do you find your one true love? Well, it's a beautiful story here because Leah seems to experience this. You know what it says in verse 31? The Lord saw that Leah was hated. So Leah always wanted to be what? She wanted to be seen. She wanted to be noticed. She wanted to be matter. She wanted somebody to look at her and love her. And when the Lord saw that nobody looked at Leah and loved her, guess who did? God did. God gave his love to Leah. He provides for her. He gives her children. He has compassion on her. He is the husband to her that Jacob is not. Our God is the true groom. And I want you to notice that when she has her fourth child, remember I showed you that the first three children, when she has them, she makes some comment about, now this will work. Now I'll get a husband. Now he'll have regard for me. But when she has the fourth child, what does she say? I conceived and bore a son. This time I will praise the Lord. No mention of her husband at all. There's no lamenting, no yearning for Jacob. Um, She triumphs over her idolatry. She experiences the love of God and she is full. Now I will praise the Lord. She takes the deepest longings of her heart off the way men or the way Jacob viewed her and she finds her satisfaction in the Lord. There is one true love. Not only that, how does God love Leah? He not only gives her sons and gives her himself, but to Leah is given a prominence, a place of prominence in the redemption of the world. Her third son is named Levi. The Levites were the what? They were the priestly tribe. That means that from um, Leah, not from Rachel, but from Leah comes um, uh, comes Moses and Aaron. Um, and not only that, her fourth child is named what? Judah. And Judah, from Judah comes the what? Not the priestly tribe, but the royal tribe, the kingly tribe. So from Judah comes David, the greatest Israelite of all. And from that same line comes who? Jesus, right there in Matthew chapter one, right there in the genealogy of, uh, of Jesus. Right through um, Judah comes the savior of the world. To Leah, the woman that no one loved, God makes her the mother of Jesus. So it is to a son that no one loved, Jacob, and a wife that no one loved, Leah, they bear the one true love, the Messiah, into the world. Isn't that a story? God's our one true love. He loves the unlovely. He sets the woman free from finding their worth. He sets women free from finding their worth in how their husbands view them or in the beauty of their home. He sets men free from needing to have a trophy wife or trophy kids or a trophy job. He sees us as beautiful because our one true love became ugly for us. 
What does it say about Jesus and Isaiah? He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised. He was not esteemed. He was scorned. They beat him to a pulp. They had no regard for him. Jesus becomes ugly so that when God looks at us, though we look like Leah, he sees Rachel. Can I say a word to you guys? We talk to people all the time. Just last night, somebody in their 80s came out in tears and said, I have, um, I I am filled with so much shame. How about you? How many people here would say, I feel ugly, I feel unwanted, I feel unnoticed. Sometimes even in my own family, I don't feel loved. I feel so guilty for things I've done or things I've failed to do. I hate myself. Deepest wounds. So I know this kid. He came from a large family. He was the youngest kid in the family. And when he was a little boy, maybe seven years old, the most horrific thing happened to him a young man in his neighborhood assaulted him sexually in the most graphic way that I'm not going to say. And uh, the person who did this to him threatened to kill his family if he told any of them, so he never did. And all of his older siblings became smashing successes. They had a wonderful family, wonderful parents. They thrived in school. They, they married spouses. They became, they used their lives for good. Virtually every one of them are followers of Jesus. This young man filled with such shame, such self-loathing, such self-hatred carved up his body, he had tats uh, from head to toe, he um, struggled with drugs and crime and went to prison and, 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 and essentially lived a life of, of self-hatred and self-loathing. He was uh, addicted and in and out of rehab. He just put his family, uh, he was married three times, they all failed, um, just lurching everywhere, trying to fill the gaping hole in his soul and made an absolute ruin of his life and everyone around him. And finally, he pulled off his car off the road in a deserted stretch of road one night and called his older brother, the only one in his family who wasn't sick and tired of him, and said, I'm gonna end my life right here and right now. And they wept on the phone, and his older brother one last time said, There's, I tell you what you need, you need Jesus. And he got on his knees on that road, and he asked Jesus, to take all his shame and all his self-hatred away. And I just have to tell you, he is the most beautiful Christian. He's married. He's filled with joy. He's a delight to be with. He has a career in which he has been wildly successful. 
He's stinking rich. And he gives it away more lavishly than anybody I know. He buys cars for missionaries. He pays pastors whole salaries at little churches where they can't afford a pastor. He pays for people's funerals. He sets up elderly people that don't have money. I mean, he just, he just is lovely. He's the most lovely person you could ever meet. And do you know why? He met his one true love. He could do that in you. Don't say, oh, I've been a Christian a long time. I'm not talking about being a Christian. I'm not talking about, I believe in Jesus, I believe in God, I read the Bible. I, yeah, 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 yeah. But have you been, has, has your soul experienced the affection of God so that it changes you so that the love that comes into you goes out of you. Listen, on my tombstone, the chance that the word love would ever appear on there was almost nil. This man loved people. My kids would have all come and crossed it out. But God changed me. And you can't love until you've been loved. There are a lot of people who say they're Christians, but they don't love. They're harsh, they're critical. You gotta know your one true love. He'll change you. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, may it be so. We don't wanna just go to church. We don't wanna just do worship, come here on the weekends. Christmas trees are pretty. Got a lot of nice friends. No, 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 we want you. We want, we want, the, we want, we want you as our groom. We want your affection. We want what you've paid for us to have. You became ugly so that we would be precious in the Father's eyes. Lord, for anybody in this room that feels ugly, I pray right now you would, you would lead them to pray even in this moment. Lord Jesus Christ, um, come and make me yours. I come to be engaged you as my one true love. Lord, hear our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.